All right, that wasn't too hard. Hey, good morning, uh, Preston City Bible Church. My name is Loring Boyden. All of you know me, and uh, I'm privileged to call you all family. You're my kind of people. For the broadcast, uh, my name is Loring Boyden. I'm a deacon here at Preston City Bible Church under Pastor David Roslin. My lanes of responsibility are the ushers and security and youth ministries. Dave asked me to speak um, as he takes all the available time to prepare for his PhD examinations. He's working so hard on that. and certainly wanted to help with that heavy load if I could. Um, and he asked me to speak on worldview, just one word, worldview, which is fascinating to me because we just finished up Camp Arete recently and we uh, work with the Young Adult Fellowship here in the local church. And these teens at Camp Arete that come in from all over the country, we even had three come up from Puebla, Mexico, across the border just to attend our camp this year. And these teens are just getting bombarded with worldview. Um, as you know, our, our culture is just upside down. Um, God is giving Satan a lot of uh, leeway right now, and uh, it uh, can be upsetting to watch, but we know the Lord is in control. But before we get into worldview, we are getting ready to start our fall semester in Young Adult Fellowship, and I just wanted to briefly touch on that so you all understand what that is. It is uh, our local teens in the same age bracket, 13 to 19, same age bracket as Camparete. This is uh, an evening we had hosted by the Arbuckles out in their home. So it's the same age bracket, 13 to 19. We meet every other Friday from 6.30 to 8.30 right here at Preston City Bible Church downstairs. <coughs> uh, have dinner before you come. We'll have snacks and desserts here. We have a teen-appropriate Bible study, and then we have a fun activity, icebreaker game. Uh, every year it's interesting because the group fluctuates as the youngers come up and they hit the age of 13 and the olders surpass the age of 19 and, and move on to bigger and better things. So every year it's a little different, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, this, we, and we try to mix it up a lot with, with trips and, and different classes and guest speakers. This is a uh, session we had out at the home of uh, former Army Ranger Joseph Grillo. He was teaching us all uh, knot tying and um, fascinating class. We all enjoyed that. Uh, some good conservative uh, exercises, how to properly fold an American flag. A little dated photo there. They did a great job with it. We have guest speakers come in. Really appreciate Alan Snow came in and spoke to us. And Alan, you're invited back anytime. Talk about anything you desire. And Gary Smith came in and spoke to the group. Did a great job. Appreciated hearing from Gary. This is a trip we took down to the Statue of Liberty with uh, the Pierre Pauls and the DiCaprios and Rodney came along and a very interesting trip. It was tough because there was a lot of construction on 95, so Google Maps took us right down the entire Manhattan Island, right through the city and then through the tunnel over to, so it was a little crazy traffic-wise and getting there, but uh, great trip to New York. We do Boston a lot. We do Boston every year. 
We go to Boston on the actual holiday, on the 4th of July, on Memorial Day, or on Labor Day, because that's when the city council authorizes the street performers who come in. They, get, they have to audition and get a permit, but they're really entertaining and fun. It's a very festive environment, and uh, we have a great time in Boston. It feels much safer to go to Boston than to New York City, frankly, right now. And we ride the T in, and uh, it's a great day. Usually a lot of walking. This was the group that went way back in 2017. The men, yeah, we, we did a lot of walking. The women, they found a great bakery, and they just hunkered down and, and had a talk fest for the day. But we always have fun on the trip to Boston. We did a kayaking trip uh, for the first time this year in 2023. We found it's uh, much safer to kayak on grass than in the water. Um, <laughs> But uh, we had a good time. It's hard to take pictures when you've got that kayak paddle going. But I think Dave managed to take some. Dave and his sons came. Um, Isaiah just took to it like a duck to water, and he was way out ahead. And uh, unfortunately, blew past the pullout point, so we had to retrieve him from downriver. And uh, Herwin was just terrified. Herwin Pierre-Paul was terrified at first. But we, we launched her out in there, and, and after a few hundred feet, uh, she was doing fine. So... Uh, Thank you, Ron Mitchell, who also accompanied us as some adult and safety monitors. Um, in February every year, we rent the entire Coast Guard Academy bowling alley, and uh, we have a nice meal catered by a local restaurant, and we have a teen Bible study, and we have a couple hours of bowling, which is a lot of fun, so that'll be coming up in February. <clears throat> These two have been seeing stars together for years. Uh, they, uh, this was way back when they were teenagers and they're now happily married. I don't see them here this morning. But um, it's fun to see the teens come up through, especially after Young Adult Fellowship is, is over. They're over the age of 19, but they continue on in the faith and in their Christian walk and make good decisions. That's very gratifying to see. This was an interesting adventure. We went, did a little spelunking out in Stonington. We hiked in about a mile, crawled through this cave. This is the entrance. The exit is over on the other side of the hill. Um, but we decided to add a little twist to it. And we did it in pitch dark at 9.30 at night. Uh, myself, I was in the lead, and, and uh, former Army Ranger Joseph Grillo was in the trail. Dave took up the middle. We had about 14 kids with us. And this entrance is very small. Dave had to crawl in on his belly. I had to crawl into my belly. We all had headlamps on. We all had the safety briefing. And nobody got hurt that night, but that was a good adventure. And uh, it was going great until the headlamp battery started to die. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a lot of fun. So those are some of the adventurous things. What do we do for teaching? Well, there is a three-series book by... Uh, Jeff Myers, Understanding the Culture, Understanding the Times, and Understanding the Faith. So we boil that down, awesome books, and uh, Pastor Dave has approved this series, and we teach from it to the teens. Um, and as you can see, some of the topics we've already covered, climate change, arts and entertainment, technology, marriage, religious freedom, the value of human life, sexuality, poverty care, pollution and creation care, these are some of the topics that the world is giving them, but in the worldly version, the, the, the deception, the satanic lies. So it's very important for us to get the biblical truth to these teens as they're growing up in this very confusing world 
on climate change and the benefits of technology, but also the dangers of technology. Um, so um, their eyes are open sometimes in, in how they look at some of these current topics that the world is throwing at them in so many ways, through their cell phones, through cable TV, through the mass media, and so much of it is just deception. So that's the material that we teach in Young Adult Fellowship. Again, it's ages 13 to 19, the fall semester starting soon. Don't miss it. It will be well communicated. Keep an eye on your text message thread and uh, 6.30 to 8.30 every other Friday, and we look forward to it. So let's get into this topic that Dave uh, wanted me to discuss. Um, I guess the first thing we ought to do is define it. What is worldview? It is powerful temptations, satanic deceptions, and godless viewpoints that are pretty much running the world right now. We are, we are certainly a minority um, in these areas in how we believe and how we think. Uh, the worldview path is very wide and very populated. It um, has pretty much taken over our mass media. The worldview path is paved with godless philosophy, humanism, materialism, and sexual perversion. Humanism is, is man trying to solve some of mankind's perceived serious problems, totally devoid of biblical truth and biblical wisdom, and usually makes the problem even worse or creates another huge problem. Materialism, I can't believe the pressure these kids are under in the schools even, if they don't have the, the right kind of sneakers or they don't have the right model cell phone or as they get older, if they don't drive the right kind of car or wear the right kind of clothes. Uh, materialism is just thrown at these kids so heavily. And sexual perversion, I don't need to tell this crowd how bad that has gotten. Um, extreme. I mean, when they are telling these young kids in the public schools even that you may be a boy, you may be a girl. It's, it's just out of control and, and we've got to push back as much as we can as believers and we'll get into how we do that in just a minute. Worldview is tempting in many, many ways. My goodness, uh, some of these young male teenagers, what the heck, I can, I can chase as many females as I want to. Um, I really want to drive that super car or wear those fancy clothes. And, and the world's telling me I won't be happy unless I get this transgender surgery. And, and it's just, it's, it's sick. But uh, when there's nothing else out there, when they're not being presented with Christian truth, some of these areas are very, very tempting, and we deal with them at Camparete quite a bit. It is what Christian children and teens are up against. I am so thankful for the uh, parents out there who are running their homes in a Christian manner and bringing their kids up in a Christian manner. And I get very excited when I hear of families in this church who have young children in their homes and they have decided to shut off cable, just cancel that account. Um, the mass media is just streaming. Why would you allow them to stream this pollution right into your home, right into your kids' minds? They, they don't call it programming for nothing. 
So I know when I was raising Nathan, when he was a young boy, we just shut that cable TV right off. I know the Roselands have, have done the same and put very strict filters on that internet. Uh, very strict, especially R-rated and above, block it. There are software programs out there that do that. And it obviously shapes our culture, this, this world view. And what I want to do today, uh, in the time that we have, is look at the origins. origins. Where does this worldview come from, anyway? Well, if you had to give me one name as to where it came from, what would it be? Thank you, Satan. You bet. We are in the midst of a spiritual war at the angelic level. It'd be fascinating to be able to see it, but we can't. So we're in this angelic war, but it also filters down to the human realm. And this war is hot and heavy. It's going on right now. The prize is the hearts and the minds and the souls of mankind. Satan wants to take as many with him to the lake of fire as he can. And he wants to be worshipped like a god. The opponents are Satan and his demonic forces versus the Trinity, the angelic forces, and us as believers. But the good news is the battle's already won. When Christ died on the cross, that was it. That, that's victory. When Christ overcame death um, and rose again on the third day, and we can believe in him, we have eternal life. It's just a matter of... Um, we, Yes, all humans will, will live forever. It's just a matter of where you're going to live, with God or apart from God. The war was won when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind, and Satan knows that he eventually is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So why doesn't God, who created the most beautiful angel, Lucifer, just uncreate him and stop this conflict Great question, but it's way above my pay grade, and even some of the top scholars um, battle with this one. Why does God allow this to go on? But we'll give you a proposed answer at the end. So, I told you I want to get back to the origins and see where this came from. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this is the six days when, when God was creating. He rested on the seventh. And um, prior to the Garden of Eden, prior to the creation of Adam and Eve, so there were no beings, right? No, the angels had already been created. So, and how do we know that? In Job 38.4, it says, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its foundations set, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So if we focus on that verse 7, when creation was going on, the morning stars were singing together, and all the sons of God were shouting for joy. The sons of God refers to the holy angels who existed at the time of creation. Angels are called sons of God in Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job 38.7. This implies that the angels were already around when 
creation happened. They were singing and, and shouting for joy. <clears throat> what is the purpose of these angels? To glorify, praise, and serve God. In Hebrews 1.14 it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So that is great news. The angels are ministering spirits sent out to provide service. In Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, reference, they are all titles for angels. They are ranks for angelic beings. In Psalm 148.2, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. That's a comforting thought to me, that there are heavenly armies of angels. So how many are there? The Bible is not really specific on that. In Revelations 5.11, it says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. How many is myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands? Again, the Bible's not really specific. It doesn't give us a specific number. Some of the Bible scholars you hear say, well, there's one angel created for every human that will ever exist. Well, I don't know. Show me that in the Bible. I, um, Hebrews 12.22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Again, myriads. In Matthew 26.53, let me set this up for you. This is um, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas had betrayed him and the Roman guards are approaching to take him. And one of the apostles pulls out a sword and slashes at the Roman guards and cuts off one's ear, I believe. And God says, and Jesus said, no, stop, put your sword away. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Well, in Roman times, a legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legions, 12 times 6, there's 72,000 angels right there. Um, so the answer, how many angels are there, is a great but indefinite number. The Bible is not specific on exactly how many there are. So if God made the angels, even before us, what happened? Why are we in this spiritual warfare? Well, one angel is a mess by Genesis 3. He has rebelled and is slithering around as a snake or a serpent serpent in the Garden of Eden, and he's trying to trick Adam and Eve into eating the forbidden fruit and committing sin. So one angel 
has gone astray. So this brings up the problem of theodicy, or where did sin come from? If God created these angels, but one of them was defective, um, and, and sin, where does that? We know where our sin comes from. Our sin is inherited from Adam's original sin, through our old sin nature. Where does angelic sin come from? And again, that is way above my pay grade. We'll leave that up to Andy Woods and Dave Roseland and um, Jeremy Thomas and Pastor Brad Maston and all the other great scholars at uh, Schaefer. This one angel led a rebellion and took one-third of the angels with him. How do we know that? Well, in Revelations 12, 3-4, it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, meaning the devil, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, meaning the angels, and threw them to the earth. So Lucifer, which was his name when he was an angel, he fell, his name is Satan. He didn't just sin, he he convinced a lot of others to come along with him. How do we know the devil is real and isn't just a a scary costume at at Halloween? Um, uh, Well, John believed in the devil. In John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and father of lies. John believed in the devil. Paul believed in the devil. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's an interesting title, Prince of the Power of the Air. And in my simple mind, um, Prince of the Power of the Air fits really, really well because he is um, so involved in Wi-Fi and the internet and social media and uh, mass media that he truly is the Prince of the Power of the Air that uh, is penetrating down to our young folks, and even us as adults. We've got to be so careful. So how, do we, how else do we know he is real? Well, James believed in the devil. In James 4, 7, he wrote, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Peter believed in the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Which brings up another question, which we'll address in a minute, but is the, is the devil, is Satan omnipresent like, like God is? It says here, he prowls around, which is a hint that he is not omnipresent. Jesus believed in the devil. Obviously, he had a direct confrontation with him where the devil tempted him many times. In Matthew 4.1, then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he's not just a little uh, scary 
Halloween costume. In Genesis 3, he tempted Eve. In Matthew 4, he tempted Jesus. In Matthew 4, he perverted the word. In Zechariah 3, he opposed God's work. In 1 Thess, he hindered God's servants. In Matthew 13, he hindered the gospel. In 2 Timothy, he ensnares the wicked. In 1 Kings, he deceives the nations. In 2 Corinthians, he's an angel of light. In Job 1, he appears before God. In 1 John, the whole world lies in his lap. In Genesis 3, he accomplished the fall of the human race. There are now people who are so sure that he exists that they overtly and openly worship him. Just this past summer, for the first time that I can remember, we had the Satanic Convention up in Boston. Um, But the point here is that the teaching of the devil and uh, examples of his existence is so intertwined throughout the Bible, you can't believe the Bible and, and not believe in the fallen angel, in Satan. So who is this guy? Who is the devil? What is he? He's the most beautiful angel created by God. His God-given name is Lucifer. I think that translates to son of the morning. Um, But he was genius level, a multi-talented, given access to God the Father even. He is the highest ranking corrupted fallen angel with a distinct personality. He has the ability to plan. He has the power and the ability to put a scheme into action. And we can see that very clearly when he schemed to slither around in the Garden of Eden as a serpent, as a snake, and trick Eve and Adam into consuming the forbidden fruit. In 2 Corinthians 11, it says, but I am afraid that As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So he put together that plan and deceived Eve. We know he can put, he is crafty, he can put a scheme into action. And unfortunately, Satan is still busy devising schemes to deceive people to fulfill his desires and take as many people as he can with him into the pits of hell. So he's obviously very busy today in our culture. It's evident almost everywhere we look as Christians that uh, he's a busy guy. What are his titles and what can they tell us? Well, in Ezekiel 28, 14, he was called the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now we have no idea what God's throne room, even if he has a throne room. But here he says, Satan, you were on, or Lucifer at the time, you were on the holy mountain of God. You had access to God the Father. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. And I can't even imagine how beautiful that must look, the stones of fire. He was an anointed cherub, called the anointed cherub who covers. And the cherubim is the highest caste of of angels. He was the anointed cherub. In Luke eleven fifteen, it says, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So one title is the anointed cherub who covers. The other is Beelzebub. Sometimes people say Beelzebub. Um, the literal translation, I think, is the Lord of the Flies. Back in the 70s, there was a book, The Lord of the Flies and a movie, a very dark story. Uh, but here's another title, Beelzebub, ruler of the demons. 
In 2 Corinthians 4.4, in whose case the God of this world, another title, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How many of us have highly educated academic uh, friends who are obviously smart, but they are just, their minds are just blinded to the simple truths in the Bible. And I have one friend who's um, he's actually a one-star general, and he says, I, I keep telling him, just read the Bible. Just read it. What are you afraid of? He says, I don't read fiction. They're just blinded to uh, the truth of the Bible. And uh, he's not headed for a good place, but I can't seem to convince him. In Ephesians 2, 2 through 4, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the anointed cherub who covers one of his titles, Beelzebub or Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, the god of this world is one of his titles, the prince of the power of the air is one of his titles. What do these titles indicate? Well, they indicate rank and and power. All of his titles speak of rank and power. He is the highest ranked angel. angel. He is a cherub. He's a ruler, maybe the ruler of the, he's certainly the ruler of the fallen angels and maybe a ruler of all. According to Abrahamic religions, a cherub is one of the unearthly beings who directly attend to God. Again, Lucifer had access. He was just uh, so beautiful and so gifted and so genius level intelligent and um, had access to the Father. He's called a, or what his titles indicate that he was a prince of the demons. His titles indicate that he is a ruler who is busy promoting godless philosophy, humanism, materialism, and, and perverted sex. And that's exactly how we defined worldview in the beginning. Godless philosophy, humanism, materialism, and sexual perversion are some of his main tools in our culture today. His titles indicate that he is an authority and a power, one who plans and carries out his plans. And he is one who constantly works against the work of God. So God is omnipresent. Is Satan? What does the Bible say about that? Well, thankfully, no. Angels are immaterial spirits and they are spatially bound and must move about. Some are actually commented on in the Bible by their speed. This one moved quickly. This one moved steadily. This one was sluggish. In Daniel 9 and Daniel 10, it indicates that angels, clean and unclean, are located somewhere trying to get somewhere else. So they aren't omnipresent. An example is when Christ sent demons into the herd of pigs. They were spatially bound. That is where they were. They aren't everywhere. Are there angels in this room right now? I would hope so. I really do. Are there unclean demons in this room right now? Could very well be. We just don't know. We don't have visibility on this conflict at the angelic level. It would be fascinating to see, probably blow our minds, but we don't have visibility of it. Sometimes angelic immaterial beings 
can materialize and take upon them a body. And that's, that's kind of neat. We have an example in Sodom when two angels appeared as men to warn Lot to take his family and get out of the city. And apparently these two angels that came down were very awesome specimens, handsome and, and well-built, and they were driving the homosexual community in Sodom crazy. They almost tore down Lot's house to try to get at them and sodomize and, and, and abuse and, and, uh, and take advantage of them. Angels are immortal and never die, just like man. We will live eternally. It's just a matter of where? With God or apart from God? The highest form of angels are the cherubims. Indescribable beauty and the highest ranking. They surround God. They protect his holiness. A couple of other angels that are mentioned in the Bible. One is Gabriel. Gabriel is the angel that came down, if you remember, and gave the message to Mary that she was going to bear a son, the son of God. She had not been with a man, yet she was going to be, get pregnant and, and, and give birth to our Savior, Jesus. So Gabriel came down. Uh, Michael, Michael is, uh, in the Bible, he is, his roles are very militaristic and combative. When a demon gets really out of control and is obstructing what God wants to happen, God just says, Michael, take care of him. And uh, Michael comes down, and uh, I'd like to see that. Um, and some say, some Bible scholars say that Michael is the commander of the armies of angels. Um, not sure about that. So let's focus in a little more on this highest ranking angel. Uh, Ezekiel 28:12. Ezekiel's a prophet, and he's talking here. Son of man, take up a song of mourning over the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord says. I got to set this up a little bit because um, when he starts speaking, he's speaking more to Satan than to the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre was a really bad, bad king. He was unjust. He was cruel. He was mean. He was corrupt. The king of Tyre, uh, and that was an important city uh, back then, um, was just um, a horrible king. And Ezekiel is actually speaking of the power here behind the king of Tyre, which is Satan, when he says, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, Lucifer, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. I don't even think we could imagine the beauty of, of Lucifer when he was created. The lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your tambourines and flutes was in you. He was a genius musician. On the day that you were created, they were prepared um, some of the scholars say that, that Satan was the leader of the angelic choir. And boy, wouldn't you like to hear that? And you will someday. Um, so men, how many times has your wife said, hey, our anniversary is coming up. Can you go out and buy me some lapis lazuli? Um, it's called lapis in the trade. It's a metamorphic rock that has been valued since antiquity. And that struck my curiosity. I did have to look it up. Um, this is lapis lazuli. It is a gorgeously 
just beautiful stone with silver and gold coloring uh, put through it. Um, it can be polished. It can be put into jewelry. Um, the satanic cultures up in Boston, there may have been some lapis. They call it lapis in the trade, the gemstone trade. There may have been lapis at the satanic convention in Boston. It is supposed to have healing powers, and it is used in some satanic rituals. Um, but that is the lapis lazuli. And when you think of all of these gemstones, this is one of the minor stones that is in Satan's outer covering, and which just had to be, I don't know, how do you describe it? Psychedelic, electric? It's just probably beyond human description of how beautiful his outer covering was. So Ezekiel goes on, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You had access at the highest levels. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So what a fall. I mean, a fall from being the highest ranked angel to what we consider the scum of the earth, Satan now. Um, so what, what a fall. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, cast you out, and I have destroyed you, you covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. He no longer has access to the Father. Um, look at that first line. By the abundance of your trade. Satan didn't just sin. He sold that sin. He merchandised it. That was his trade. And he was a good salesman because he took a third of the angels with him when he went. He merchandised it. That was his trade. Your heart was haughty because of your beauty. And that's really his downfall was pride. Your heart was haughty because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I threw you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your wrongdoings in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you. And I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. Again, um, it was his haughtiness. It was his beauty. It was his genius level intellect. It was his musical talent. He was blessed in so many ways. And he decided to rebel and push back on God the Father. And God uh, just threw him down. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. I, and I'm sure you will be too, very happy on the day when Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Um, but all who knew you among the peoples are appalled at you. He went from the most beautiful, the highest ranked angel to someone we think of today as just horrible. Don't want anything to do with him. Just disgusting. What a huge fall. So what was the great sin that caused Satan to fall? Well, uh, it comes down to what they call the five I wills. And it's his pride, it's his arrogance expressed in five I wills that Satan says. Satan says, I will ascend to heaven. He says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
He says, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So he wants to take over as God the Father. And he wants everybody to worship him and follow him. In verse 15, nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. The battle's already won when Christ died on the cross. Satan is headed to the lake of fire. But in the meantime, we have to engage in this spiritual warfare. Why does God allow this? I mean, he's God. Why doesn't he just destroy Lucifer with a word? Not even a word, just a thought. And, and wipe him out rather than put us through this at the human level. Um, Well, God chose to give the rebel his full opportunity to exploit every avenue of his power, to follow every possible angle, to fully exercise his rebellion to its limits. He gave Lucifer all of time from Genesis 3 to the kingdom. Why? It seems that God is letting rebellion run right out to the end to show all beings that all creatures for all time can never dethrone God. When it is done, it is done, and no one will ever doubt again that God's authority can ever be usurped. It is impossible to dethrone God. All will see that God is supreme, that his timing is perfect, and that his plan is perfect, and that Christ will reign eternally. So he's letting Satan engage in battle right now. But obviously we have, we have an out. We can accept Christ and, and join the, the winning side. Which brings us to the question, as we prepare to close, whose side are you on? In Hebrews 2.14, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So Christ defeated Satan on the cross. He took on flesh and blood just like us, He was a man just like us, went to the cross and died to win this spiritual and human level war. Every person on the planet today is either a child of God or a child of Satan. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? That is a a powerful statement. I'm either a child of God or a child of Satan? Wow. Well, let's see what Jesus says about that. In Matthew 12.30, Jesus said, The one who is not with me is against me, and the one who does not gather with me scatters. The one who is not with me is against me. You're either on the road to Christian maturity, taking in his word as a believer, or you're living in and condoning the worldview, the world system. So which one is it going to be? How do we as a local church, as a local family of believers, 
stay on the offensive in this spiritual war because you don't win wars in the defense. In the early 1940s, we didn't send armies and armies and armies over to England to defend that island nation. No, that was a launching point to go on the offensive as we crossed the channel on D-Day and went on the offensive. So how do we as a local church, how do we stay on the offensive and fight this war? Well, number one, we pray. We pray regularly and earnestly. Morning and night, whatever your schedule is, we pray. Start out with thankfulness for everything God has given us and move into our, our requests, hopefully more spiritual-based requests, but material requests as well and requests for each other. But prayer is a very effective uh, tool, weapon. Satan hates it. Keep advancing towards spiritual maturity on an individual level. Keep yourself under the teaching of the word. If we are faithful and we continue to do that, we will grow spiritually, but it's, it's not like you're causing that growth by studying the word and, and praying. When you stay under the word and keep advancing, keep increasing your understanding and knowledge of the word of God, the Holy Spirit is the one who causes your growth. So just be obedient and stay under the teaching of the word. Keep advancing toward spiritual maturity. What else can we do? We can support financially, obviously. We're in the real world. Bills have to be paid. Um, and uh, it's very important. It's a private matter between you and God, but support financially if you can. Volunteer, get involved. We're, we're a small local church. For the most part, we all get along. We're a fun family to be a part of. And uh, we can sign up to teach a Sunday school class or be a substitute Sunday school teacher. If you want to sit in, in our, on our Sunday school classes and see what it's all about, see if you can handle it, please let us know. We'll, we'll plug you in um, to assist with Tom Tanucci, with Kathy Haley, with Lauren Bennett, with Sarah Murray, with Emma Lukoski. Um, and uh, it's easy and it's very, very rewarding. Vacation Bible School. Many of you already volunteer for Vacation Bible School, and we just raised the bar this year. That was just awesome, thanks to Lauren Bennett and, and Justin, and, and uh, came in with some new, fresh ideas. And uh, it's just awesome. We, we blew the cover off EBS this year. CEF. Alan is constantly looking for people to join his CEF teams to go into the local schools. What a in the Army, we call it a target-rich environment. Oh, my goodness. All these young kids who are going to believe what you tell them in a sincere manner, that Christ loved them and, and, and they can believe in him and trust in him. So um, join a CEF team. Go into the public schools one night a week. And trust me, you will get more out of it than you put into it. It's just uh, awesome. Young Adult Fellowship. Be a guest speaker. Something's on your heart. You want to teach the teens. You've been struggling with with your teen. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Rosen, and come in, be a guest speaker at Young Adult Fellowship, and um, join one of our crazy activities. Um, Camp Arete, uh, we go in with a skeleton crew. The staff is only 20, and we're really not looking for any more staff members. Um, but, um, my goodness, did you support us financially this year. That, that was just awesome. It, it took us about $26,000 to have camp this year. And we got hit early on 
in January and February with a massive price increase of 32% all at once and just kind of knocked us for a second. We had to raise the tuition from 450 to 550. We had to cut the staff down to the skeleton crew of 20, even though it was sufficient. Um, but even in this church, <clears throat> you guys weren't coming up to me with $20 and $50. I had people coming up to me and handing me envelopes with 1,000 cash, with um, coming up to me and saying, hey, how much is the tuition? 550, all right, I wanna send two kids to camp and write me a check for 1,100 bucks. Um, you guys just responded in an awesome manner and allowed us to, to have camp. And not only this church, but Robbie Dean's church, same thing. $1,000, $2,000, one lady, five grand. Oh my goodness. It made Camp Arete happen this year. And, um, and it paid off. We had two young women uh, accept Christ this year, young teens. And one of them got baptized at camp with her parents live on FaceTime. Um, it was awesome. Uh, join Mark's team. At Bayview, go minister and get to know some of these older senior citizens. They are awesome to get to know and hear what they have been through. I love asking the older ones, do you remember where you were when, when Pearl Harbor got hit? Or how did you get through the Depression? Um, and they've got some great stories. We have evangelistic activities, the fairs, the festivals. Um, you can get involved with those. You can um, help us with visitations. We have uh, Keith Thornton, who's a, a shut-in right now. And you can visit with him, and he's a great guy. Very old school, uh, fun to visit with. You can pray with him. Um, so these are awesome ways that we can go on the offensive and stay on the offensive as a local church in the spiritual war that is going on at the angelic level and at the human level. So, two minutes early, awesome. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you that we're in the midst of this war. We know it is part of your plan. And Father, we thank you for the opportunities we have with uh, this church family to come together and serve and stay on the offensive. And Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to learn about our enemy in this war. And Father, we just pray that anybody who is within the sound of my voice would ensure that they are on the winning side. How do they do that? By believing that Christ died on the cross for them and accepting Christ as their Savior. Father, your word says that it only takes a mustard seed of faith uh, and belief to become a Christian. And it is very, very clear in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but through me. So again, just a mustard seed of faith and believing that, and you will spend eternity with God in heaven. We thank you for this time this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.